Howdy, folks, and welcome to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb, coming at you from Eureka, California, joined by co-host and producer Michael O'Neill in Syracuse, New York. Howdy, Michael. Howdy, David. So this is going to be an exciting program, at least for me, and I hope you, the viewer, listener, will find as well, because this is where Michael and I share with you our thoughts on how should the Green Party be spending our time in 2019? Um, and I want to remind folks that if you have not already shared this on your own page or a page you manage, now is a great time to do so to continue to build our audience. If you are listening to us on a podcast, thank you for that. Make sure to share this podcast with others. So, Michael, how does and what should Greens be doing in 2019? That's the topic of the show. Exactly. It's a big question. And I think a way to reframe that question is to say, well, what are our goals as Greens and Green Allies? And my goal as a nonviolent eco-socialist revolutionary, such as yourself, David, is I want to elect radical eco-socialists to office in my community, in my region, and across the country. So... How do we work towards that goal of electing radical eco-socialists as Greens to put our ideas into government and to smash the duopoly corporate state? Michael O'Neill, I always love these conversations with you because as precise as I am with my language, you have the uncanny knack to make me look sloppy. So I'm going to say, yes, your, your language is an improvement. And so really the topic of this show is what should be Greens be doing in 2019 in order to further our goal of creating an eco-socialist society? And specifically, how does that work towards getting eco-socialists elected to office? So let's just jump right into that, because I do think that in that framing that you've done, Michael, you've really invited us to think about two different things at the same time. Because one of them is, how can we use 2019 in this non-general election year for elections that are happening? Because remember, there are so many local elections in 2019. Many of those local elections, in fact, are going to be uh, specifically nonpartisan. Secondly, uh, what can the Green Party organizer do uh, in a non-electoral but still political way to be building cooperative solidarity institutions outside of the electoral arena. And I do want to just give a big shout out uh, to you who I just saw already jumped in to ask, how about passing ranked choice voting where they live? Michael, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you, give us your short quip on what the heck is ranked choice voting and why should Greens care? Ranked choice voting is a way of making people's vote more powerful and more meaningful. Rather than just picking one candidate as the candidate that you cast your vote for, you actually get to rank your candidates in order of your preference. And so if uh, you know myself and, and David and uh, Ronald McDonald were all running for office, and uh, let's say that uh, I'm your top candidate and David is your uh, second candidate. And Ronald- I think Ronald McDonald. 
Ronald McDonald is your distant third candidate, then, uh, you know, rather than, than worrying about vote splitting, you know, David and Michael splitting the progressive vote and electing Ronald McDonald to office, you can actually rank me first and David second. And then if I don't get a majority, if I, if I don't reach the threshold, uh, then your vote for me gets transferred to David in the next round of, of voting. So it's a way for a more democratic, uh, yeah, it's just more democratic voting. It's a better ballot. And, you know, Michael, I really got to give you credit for a beautiful, very easy to understand description of ranked choice voting. All we're asking the voter to do preference amongst candidates. We like to say it's as easy as one, two, three, because literally you just say my first choice is, my second choice is, my third choice. Counting the votes is equally easy because you just count up the first preference votes that every single uh, voter uh, cast their ballot for and say, did anybody get a majority? If anybody got a majority, congratulations, they won the election, majority rule. But plurality, the most votes can't win if it's under 50 percent. So if anybody doesn't get a majority, you ask who is the least popular candidate, who got the fewest number of first preference votes, that candidate is now eliminated. But people who cast their vote for that least preferred candidate didn't waste their votes. Why? Because the voter has already indicated their choice, their next choice. Uh, So it really is a way to do a runoff and do it instantaneously. And I got to say, I want to give a lot of credit to Eric, who wrote in to with the observation, most candidates are rank already. That quip was too good, Eric, not to give you a shout out and a thank you. But that's the point. Ranked choice voting actually encourages more people to be able to run and it guarantees a majority winner in just one election, thus saving taxpayer money. But wait, there's more because ranked choice voting has proven demonstrably that it elevates the political discourse because it disincentivizes mudslinging between candidates. Why, you ask? Because in our current system, it actually pays to depress the votes of any of your opponents. All you're trying to do is get people to vote for me, vote for me, vote for me, vote for me. But in ranked choice voting, it is to my benefit. If I know you're already going to vote for Michael O'Neill as your first choice, I still want to be your second choice. So I don't just insult Michael or my opponents. I try to find where there is actual some commonality. So ranked choice voting actually benefits us by being more democratic. It saves money by being more democratic and giving us a result in one election, and it literally improves public discourse. It's a win, 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 and I want to thank you for pointing out that supporting, proposing, and moving ranked choice voting is an excellent way for Greens to be spending 2019. Michael, you have any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, So one of the reasons David and I were motivated to talk about this for a show is um, because I think there are maybe some conventional wisdoms or some common patterns that Greens have 
in terms of how we do spend our time and how we spend our year. And I think a lot of greens and a lot of places have been doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And so um, we wanted to explore some ideas here about how do we actually make progress towards the things that we really want. And, you know, if we talk about, for instance, pursuing electoral reform legislation, where, wherever you live, whether it's uh, passing ranked choice voting and even better, passing proportional representation, then on this program and elsewhere, we need to do some deep dives about how do you actually move the ball forward where you are on those issues? Because just standing on street corners and passing out flyers explaining ranked choice voting is not moving the ball forward as quickly as I would like to see it move forward and just running candidates for big offices um, and, you know, plateauing at around 1% or 5% or 10% of the vote, maybe that's not moving the ball forward as quickly as I would like to see it. So we wanted to offer a a couple different um, ideas for how to spend time to build power this year. And hey, if you've got the political... Uh, capacity and the organizational capacity where you are to run a green for partisan office and win and and you know or at least come within you know striking distance of, of winning great but if maybe that's not where you are in in the stage of your local green party's development we want to offer you some practical ways to actually build power and build capacity so that you're stronger at the end of this year than you were when the year started. Michael, I think that you did a wonderful job of really uh, reminding me and our audience that it's critically important that we assess the political circumstances where we are. So if you are a new green uh, or you're green curious and you've tuned into this show because you want to learn a little bit more, then the first step would be to get involved in your local Green Party, attend meetings. I think Michael O'Neill will be dropping into the comments section for those of you on Facebook, a very easy entry point wherever you are, uh, if you're in the United States, how you can get involved with the Green Party of the United States and specifically get connected to the local party that exists in your community. If there's not a local party, then you've got to do the work of actually helping to create a local party. But don't be dismayed because the National Green Party of the United States have organizing kits. Uh, We have materials, resources, and tools to put them in your hands. Remember that uh, everywhere in the last, say, decade to 15 years, somebody like you just took the initiative to actually form a local Green Party. So it can be done, and you are the person that can do it. The other thing I want to point out is that in most states – Uh, you are able to either formally register green or you can sign up to be a green as either an enrollee or a member. Uh, So one of the things that all of us should be doing is if you live in a state where you can register green, we should be engaging in voter registration and make the pitch that goes like this. I'm asking you to join the Green Party and register to vote as a green Because when you register to vote as a Green, you're voting for peace, justice, deep ecology, and democracy every day. Because you are sending a powerful message, not only to the local uh, 
elections department, but to the state apparatus that the Green Party has a growing presence in this state and in this local community. So, Michael, one of the things that I tell people all the time is in any uh, election year, whether it's a off year or a uh, even year or even a presidential year, the power of convincing people to register green should never be underestimated. Absolutely. And that is essential to the, the future of this project, right? We have to build the thing that, uh, we, that we want it to be. And we want to build a people owned party, a people run party, which means we need people to join the party, to put their name on the line, to commit to building this organization as a long-term project that will transform our society. Folks, you're listening and or watching A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb, joined by Michael O'Neill. We're asking the question, how should Greens spend their time in 2019 to advance our our goal of recruiting and electing eco-socialists to office in order to transform our society in a peaceful, revolutionary manner. So registering green is a good first step. Running uh, campaigns uh, for ranked choice voting is another thing. Here's a third thing that I think that folks should be thinking about, and that is running in local offices where we are running as greens, whether the election is partisan or nonpartisan. So, Michael, I'm going to ask you, what do I mean or what do we mean when we point out that there are some elections that are partisan and some elections that are nonpartisan? So and this, may, this might mean different things in different places, but at least in New York State and, and elsewhere where I'm familiar with it, in a partisan election, if I were running for office, again, I'm a, a very busy candidate this episode, uh, on the ballot, it, my name, Michael O'Neill, would appear, and then Green Party would appear underneath my name, because that's the party I'm running on. In a nonpartisan election, my name appears on the ballot, and depending on where you are, maybe there's no party that's listed underneath the name. In New York State, you can have a party line listed, uh, especially if, if you've got a, a slate of candidates who are running on the same nominating petition or designating petition. But underneath their name, they're not allowed to have one of the ballot status recognized parties within New York. So I couldn't have Green Party or Democrat or Republican or Working Families Party underneath my name. Uh, you can invent another name and as long as it's not one of the same names of the ballot status party. So we could have the Eco-Socialist Party or the Environmental Justice Party or the Four Pillars Party. And that opens up an opportunity in terms of maybe making some inroads within an election where people are not going to have the same knee-jerk reactions to the party labels on the ballot that we might encounter within a partisan election. Well done again, Michael. So folks, what we're getting at here is that if your local municipal or county offices are nonpartisan, we want you to think about running for office there where you have the ability to run without worrying so much about the so-called spoiler effect. 
So many times uh, voters, when they meet a Green Party candidate or come across Green Party literature, principles, values or position statements, they say, oh, I love the Green Party. Y'all are fantastic. I love these positions. I love this candidate. But I'm scared that you're going to uh, I'm going to waste my vote and uh, help elect the, the bad Republican. The point is, in a nonpartisan race, you can literally avoid that and just run straight on the issues, run straight on your program, and not have to navigate these so-called spoiler effect. So I really think it's important to recognize that there's a great way to gain electoral experience and be able to build coalition with folks uh, in nonpartisan races that go beyond and transcend partisan races. In a partisan race, it is much harder to find ways to build solidarity with so, uh, you know, registered socialists or progressive Democrats or, or, or others because there's too much fighting over the partisanship. So I think that the idea of running in nonpartisan races is a very powerful one. And let's just name it. It's where the Green Party has had our success. We've elected thousands of people at the non. Partisan, in nonpartisan races at the local level. Sure, we've elected people, a couple of people to state legislature. We've elected a couple of people to county or city offices in partisan races. But really, our biggest success have come in nonpartisan races. And I think that we should lean in hard in 2019. Right. And now, are David and Michael saying that Greens should never run in partisan races? Absolutely not. That's not what we're saying. Uh, you, whether or not a race uh, for office is going to be partisan or nonpartisan is not something that you can control. But what we're advocating is that we should identify opportunities as they are available to run competitively in, in nonpartisan races. Because it's not just going to be the end voter at the ballot box that might be more open to uh, you know, voting for someone who's outside of the duopoly power structure. You are also going to be possibly more likely to recruit volunteers and high-level supporters to run that competitive campaign where uh, you know, they are going to be more apt to join you than if it's a, a partisan race where, you know, whether it's their, their job or their livelihood or their community group that they work with, they fear repercussions if they help to get a green elected in a partisan election where you've got those duopoly labels and third party labels. So well said, Michael. And it also underscores something that I like to point out, and that is this. If the Green Party is going to grow and win elections, we have to recognize that there are really two big universes uh, where those votes are going to come from. One big universe is the 50 percent of the people who are not voting at all now because they're completely disgusted and or they don't think that voting matters. Now, if you are inspired to go after those folks, you should absolutely do so. I know I engage those conversations all the time, but we should recognize that's going to be difficult because they've already mostly either given up on or never believed that elections actually matter. To convince them to cast a ballot at all is a challenge. To convince them to cast a ballot for an alternative party candidate can be even more difficult. I'm not saying it's not worth doing. I'm saying if that's the approach you want to take, know that that's your audience and that's the kind of campaign you should run and how you should spend your time. The other big pool of folks for whom Greens can get votes and ultimately recruit new members of the Green Party 
are people who are currently participating in and voting for the Democratic Party. These are folks who are infinitely more progressive than the neoliberal leadership of the Democratic Party. And I think that we need to recognize that those people are not our enemies, that those are folks that we need to win over. We need to conduct ourselves in ways that are inspiring people who have given up already on the duopoly uh, and who maybe are not voting at all or don't think much about elections. We need to inspire them to think that the Green Party can be a place where we can actually get shit done and build a movement. And we have to be willing to conduct ourselves in such a way that we are welcoming to people who are currently progressive Democrats but can become Greens. Because in that second group of folks, I got to tell you, there is an arc that I see all the time, and it goes like this. I'm a Democrat to... I'm an uneasy Democrat because I see how they are treating progressives and people like me. I'm a disgruntled Democrat because I'm getting really tired of how the corporate leadership are treating me and people like me. I'm a disgusted Democrat because no matter, they always want me to come and work. They want me to donate money, but they don't ever do anything whenever they get into office to that's it. I've had it. I'm a former Democrat because I no longer trust the leadership of the Democratic Party. Our job, Michael, ought to be to help people in that category, that is current progressives in the Democratic Party, to go through that process and culminate and end up joining the Green Party. Do you think that's naive, Michael, or is that something that you've seen as well? That's absolutely um, something I've seen. The, the, the warning I want to give is that sometimes that arc can be a full-fledged circle, right? When, when Greens are not uh, building our organization and offering those disgusted Democrats something to jump onto, then the danger is the next time uh, a new shiny Democrat comes along who's going to save the soul of the Democratic Party, they pull those disgusted Democrats back in and they think that this time it's going to be different. This time, oh my God. we're going to transform the party. And that's why it's essential for us to, to you know, build this thing uh, so that people don't get sucked back in. That's so well said, Michael. And I also gives me the opportunity to acknowledge Tina, who wrote in with a comment that says, I think we need to stop being afraid of the spoiler effect and tell people we're not going away so that if they don't want spoilers, get behind ranks choice voting. A major point about running for office is education and elevating the political discourse. Tina, thank you so much for that critical, important point. I want to say this. I believe that if you're meeting somebody who says, I want to vote for you, but I have to hold my nose and cast a vote for the Democrat I don't want, I say, look, if you are holding your nose in order to participate in an election, at the very least, you need to acknowledge the stench. And the stench is an election system that's forcing you to do that. Now, I think Tina is correct. I believe that Greens should be willing to spoil to win. And I think that means a focused effort to tell both Democrats and Republicans and work with the Libertarian Party uh, as well to say we are going to upset the two-party system. We are literally going to be the margin uh, of power here, and there is a solution. It's called ranked choice voting, and I make this pledge. 
Michael and I are going to do a complete program on ranked choice voting in Maine. And we're going to bring in somebody from ranked choice voting uh, in Maine who actually ran that candidate. Uh, a little teaser. It'll also, that person is named John Eater, who is a former Maine state legislature for the Green Party. But wait, there's more. We're also at some point going to bring Lynn Serpy, one of the great Green Party campaigners, to ask the specific question, how can Greens spoil to win? So I'm really excited about that. I also want to make sure that we touch on this idea of building cooperative solidarity institutions outside the electoral arena in 2019. And it really does bring up the the point that Brandon asked uh, and that is, I'm concerned with uh, Alexandria uh, Octavio-Cortez stealing the thunder regarding the Green New Deal from Greens, even though it's not exactly the same. How should we be using this to pull Democrats into our party since there are so many push people uh, shooting against it? So what do you think there, Michael? Well, there's a lot there. Um, and yeah, for those who maybe are not familiar with the term spoil to win, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to exploring that in a future episode. Um, I think that, uh, one, I wanted to address a point that Tina made, which is I completely relate to the sentiment that Tina is expressing there. But if just if just telling people that, hey, if you don't like getting spoiled than pass ranked choice voting. If that worked, we'd have ranked choice voting by now, right? So like, let's get real. Let's get real about what it actually takes to pass ranked choice voting. And that's the kind of thing that we want to explore on this program. And then we hope that Greens are exploring in Greens and allied spaces across the country. Because just telling people, just telling progressives, hey, if you don't like get, getting spoiled, then pass ranked choice voting, that's not advancing ranked choice voting or proportional representation. And proportional representation arguably is more important to getting Greens elected than ranked choice voting, um, although the, the two are inextricably linked. If that's, that's not putting ranked choice voting and PR on the agenda of DSA or Our Revolution or uh, you know, Democrat-aligned or adjacent institutions, which at least theoretically should have some common cause with Greens and eco-socialists. So you know, again, how do we move that forward, not just with rhetoric and not just with, with what feels good for us to express, but what actually builds power and moves the issues forward? So, and, the way, and the way that you do that as somebody – look, I used to work for Fair Vote, the, the national organization – uh, that really is at the center of most both ranked choice voting and proportional representation uh, initiatives. And I can tell you, it actually requires a level of planning, organizing, strategizing, building relationships with constituencies. It's usually a two to three year process, but it absolutely could be starting right now to be building those kind of relationships. And again, we are going to bring John Eater, uh, former Maine legislator for the Green Party, who also worked and was one of the, the spokesperson for ranked choice voting in Maine that just won in the 2018 election. You know, the other thing that I want to point out is the ability to actually work on issues and building relationships. And this brings us to a point that Michael asked as a serious question. Michael says, Why doesn't the Green Party center its platform on marijuana legalization? 
you'll get the votes. Michael, I've got a response to that, but I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you, why doesn't the Green Party just become the marijuana legalization party and get a bunch of votes? Because our vision is about more than just legalizing marijuana in a vacuum. I mean, John Boehner is trying to get marijuana legalized in Ohio, uh, you know, he and, and is trying to you know set up profiteering off of marijuana and cannabis. So, uh, you know, our goal is not just to legalize cannabis so that Marlboro and uh, Monsanto can set up a cannabis industrial complex. We are looking at cannabis legalization as both a, a civil rights issue, but also as a racial justice issue and about ending the drug war as a war on the poor and a war on people of color. And so I, I think absolutely like Green's in many places should be more proactive about putting cannabis legalization more upfront, closer to the fore, because I think that is a great inroad for talking to people who uh, maybe are not yet politically activated or politically radicalized, but it absolutely has to be part of, it has to be connected to a program for, you know, how we need to legalize cannabis so it's done in a just way and not just in a ways that the rich get richer and that the people who've been exploited and incarcerated by the drug war don't get anything from it. And, and that will help further people's radicalization. That's an excellent point, Michael. And so I, I completely agree with you. I think Michael's instinct is, a, is accurate and it's one that I share. And that is, as you say, Michael O'Neill, we've got to actually centralize a cannabis legalization more in the Green Party uh, and make it clear that we, from our very inception in the 1990s, before the Green Party actually even existed, but the Greens have been on the uh, at the forefront of cannabis legalization from the beginning. But it is not the central component. The central component of the Green Party is a realization that we have to restructure society so that we democratize all of our institutions so that we conduct our social, political and economic institutions in ways that are ecologically sustainable so that we can dismantle systems of capitalism and racism and uh, patriarchy and create new systems that are actually life affirming and socially just. So. For me, Michael, the reason that we shouldn't just run on marijuana is even if that would uh, get us, quote, more votes, it's not enough to actually advance our broader, longer agenda. So I appreciate the question and I encourage folks, if you want to continue to ask questions, uh, please tune in. Next week, we'll be joined by Gloria Matera, Green Party United States co-chair. She joins us every second Monday of the month. Uh, so we're going to have that opportunity uh, again. Uh, Michael, I'm curious if the, you've got any other thoughts uh, on this topic of what Green should be doing in 2019. Absolutely. Um, so we've spent some time on the electoral component of this. And so the other aspect that I think we should make the time for now, I mean, it's a podcast, right? No one's cutting us off, uh, which is the, the non-electoral component. And that is how Greens can be uh, supporting radical institutions to, as you said, restructure society, right, where we are, where we're starting from, and taking from great examples like Cooperation Jackson in Jackson, Mississippi, 
and other places where uh, we can contribute to setting up worker cooperatives and uh, in other cooperative institutions, whether it be radical credit unions or consumer co-ops, and also uh, you know mutual aid and radical spaces where we are helping people get their me- their needs met, and we are uh, helping people come together to empower each other in radical spaces where people get to flex their and exercise their dem- their democracy muscles, and where we can raise people's expectations, and where we can point to the existing political power structure and say. With all the great work that we're doing here, that, that we're trying to do here, why uh, are we not being supported by the, the City Economic Development Council or the Regional or State Economic Development Council? And where we are, we are encountering people where they are, and we are helping them to understand that the problems that they are facing in their homes, their families, their communities are not just individual problems – but that they are systemic problems that are the product of an unjust system and that there are ways that we can work collectively to fight and change that system. And Michael, I, yeah, go ahead. So I think you make a very important point and it's why I'm glad that you actually centered that out. Thank you for lifting up cooperation Jackson and our colleagues and comrades in Jackson, Mississippi. And I have been so inspired by them that I and others in my community literally created an organization called Cooperation Humble, where we're trying to learn the lessons uh, or learn from uh, Cooperation Jackson and apply them in our community. Now, I want to be clear. I spoke to the folks in Jackson to ask if they would find it uh, offensive to use their, uh, their framing. They were actually incredibly grateful and are encouraging other people to take that on if it makes sense to them. And we're doing it as Greens, but not merely in electoral politics. So at Cooperation Humboldt, we have created uh, program areas around food, shelter, health care, art and culture, finance, uh, building worker cooperatives. And then we've had specific projects. But every program area, every project is dedicated to proving that we can meet our needs to not just survive, but to thrive, to lead rich, fulfilling, wonderful lives in an ecologically sustainable manner without exploiting or oppressing anyone. And to that end, we have created projects like a little free pantry where we're breaking out of the idea that food is a commodity that's bought and paid for at a profit, but we're just distributing it freely all across our community. We're creating a whole program called Food Not Lawns. This is a national uh, network, but we're the local version of it where we're converting front yards to vegetable gardens and butterfly and pollinator gardens and encouraging people to take what they need or what they want. We say we're building a food forest one lawn at a time in Eureka through that program. We're also incubating worker-owned co-ops. We're exploring community composting uh, as a business model to put people to work at living wage where they actually own the business. We're exploring a worker-owned construction company that would focus on building affordable housing. We're looking at building the Humboldt Artists Guild 
as a place where a uh, uh, visual artist and performing artists can actually own their own space and not be dependent upon the gallery system, but can actually own their own space and collectively uh, purchase tools. But wait, there's more. We're working on public banking in our local community. Uh, we are working on experimenting with uh, a DIY community resource tool library. Uh, we have a whole system. I'm going to ask Michael O'Neill, if he hasn't already done so, to drop into the link uh, for those of you on Facebook, the URL for Cooperation Humble. Cleverly, it's cooperationhumble.org, and you can see what we're up to. And if you're enticed and inspired, I want to let you know that we are hosting a conference that we've titled Post-Capitalism Building the Solidarity Economy, where we'll be bringing Kali Akuno of Cooperation Jackson, Emily Kawano of the Solidarity Economy Network, and Jerome Scott of the U.S. Social Forum together in order to explore these ideas and do workshops that are very specific and concrete on how you actually do these things. And with this episode, we've been trying to provide a variety of tactics that people can pursue in 2019. And one of the reasons I've, I'm hoping that approach will be helpful is that depending on how many greens you have around you or how many allies you have around you, there's something that you can do to move forward any of these or maybe just one or two, but you can start from somewhere. So maybe if there's not uh, an existing team that you're working with, uh, maybe at your local library, you could uh, show a, a a video of a Gar Alperovitz talk or a Cooperation Jackson video about solidarity economics and cooperative uh, institutions. Or maybe you could ask uh, David or you could invite uh, a, another person to give a Skype video uh, uh, talk to a group of interested people about the work that he's doing in Cooperation Jackson or where another or, or sorry, Cooperation Humboldt or where another organizer might be working elsewhere. If maybe at, at the stage that you're at, you're just introducing the ideas or maybe you have a bit more organizational capacity and you could actually start exploring how to start one of maybe of the kinds of initiatives that David was just describing. And as you attract people and as you build goodwill and as you flex your democracy muscles and your, organi your organizing muscles in that project, you will expand and have more capacity to take on another initiative or to, to make that initiative bigger. And the entire time you're forming relationships, you're building your own capacity to lead and organize and build an institution in such a way that you are then maybe have a, a more strategic outlook on the community and region that you're working in, and then start looking at how you can translate that into uh, electoral runs at the institutions and the elected officials who are stopping the community work that you're doing or who are opposing it. And, and finally, you know, looking for those cracks through which we can smash the duopoly corporate power structure. I can always count on Michael O'Neill making it a point if there is an opportunity at all to talk about smashing the two-party system or the duopoly, he'll take it. And I love the fact, Michael, that you really focused on wherever you are. And by you, I mean you who's watching this live stream, you who's listening to this podcast right now, wherever you are, 
you can do work of advancing eco-socialism. You can do work on either creating a green party or building the existing infrastructure. There are things that you can do, and I'll make this invitation to all of you watching and or listening. If you write to us at a greenwayforward.org, go to that website, take advantage of the email, email us, and either Michael or myself will get back with you, and we'll figure out a way to actually provide some of those resources uh, that Michael had described because – at the end of the day, Michael and I are serious revolutionaries. Uh, we are committed to not just talking about winning a new society, but actually living in it. I want to remind you that we are going to be coming back next week, next Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Our guest will be Gloria Matera. She is the co-chair of the Green Party of the United States and for Brandon and others who were interested in the Green New Deal, I want to remind you that we are we did one program. It's episode 40. You can go to a greenwayforward.org and find that episode uh, and listen to it and or watch it. And you can join us February 11th because we're going to be putting a Greenway Forward in conversation with Gloria Matera head on there. Michael, before we wrap up, I want to give you any final thoughts about this program or uh, the Green Party in general and what Green should be doing in 2019. Well, I'm never going to pass up an opportunity to promote Jane McAlevey. Uh, she uh, is a labor organizer and writer, and she has some interesting things to say about the L.A. teacher strike, which, as we mentioned last year, uh, last week, that was a four-year buildup to the LA teacher strike where they made some, they, they achieved some massive wins for the community, not just for teacher compensation, but for the conditions of the schools for everyone, for the entire community. And that's the kind of long-term strategic thinking of starting where you are and doing what you can now so that you're stronger in the future. That's what we're, we're trying to aim at here uh, with this kind of episode. I hope you found it helpful, and we very much uh, would appreciate your feedback. And that feedback can be delivered to a greenwayforward.org. And as the final concluding thoughts with a hat tip to Gil Scott Heron, the revolution will not be televised, but it can be brought to you over non-corporately filtered sources of news, information, and analysis like a green way forward. And yes, I completely understand the irony associated with making that statement on a corporate Facebook platform or on a uh, corporate uh, platform like iPod. But the point is that this program, a green way forward will never censor ourselves. We will also always tell the truth as we see it. And we encourage you to help grow this audience Go to a greenwayforward.org and sign up so that we can continue to get larger, stronger, and better organized. I want to thank you for joining this program. I want to thank you, Michael O'Neill, for all that you do each and every day. Keep on keeping on. Peace. A Greenway Forward is broadcast live on Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time from Dr. Jill Stein's Facebook page. Subscribe to our podcast and e-newsletter at agreenwayforward.org to make sure that you never miss an episode. You can also find us and rate us on iTunes, with more podcast platforms being added each week. 
Our theme music is Retro Future Dirty by Kevin McLeod, whose fine music can be found at incomptech.com and is available for use under a Creative Commons attribution license. This is Michael O'Neill for David Cobb reminding you to please spread the word about A Green Way Forward and to send us your thoughtful questions and comments to agreenwayforward at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.